Thank you for listening to the Calvary Church Podcast. If this ministry has been a blessing to you, would you let us know? Send us an email to mystory@toledocalvary.org. We would love to hear what God is doing in your life today. The holidays can be stressful, and it's important for us to consider not what we give this Christmas, but who we are this Christmas. This message continues Pastor Chad Gilligan's series called Christmas Presents. I'm, I'm not a guy that uh, remembers his dreams a lot. I mean, I know I have dreams, and you, know, you sleep, and you, you wake up, and you're like, I kind of remember something, or you wake up from a dream, you kind of remember things, but I usually don't like remember them. They're not usually very vivid. I had one this Monday that, um, Monday night, that was just so clear to me. And when I, when I woke up, I had this very real sense of excitement and joy, um, kind of kind of in, a, in an unusual sense. To be honest, it's kind of fueled me all week. Um, in this dream, I was preparing for this sermon. Like I was studying. I was doing the work of getting ready to preach today. And actually in the dream, it was like in the sense of for this whole series of what we're doing is we're getting into Ephesians chapter four, chapter five. And I, when I woke up, I had this tangible sense of joy. I had like this feeling of excitement. Now look, I, I love to do what I get the opportunity to do, but this was different. I've never had a dream like this. Um, and I just felt like when I woke up, I had all this expectation and enthusiasm about these messages and about this in particular, and here's why. Because I woke up and I, and, I, and I did not know what the content is. I, I couldn't tell you that hey, this was the, these were the words. I just felt in my heart, these sermons are gonna help people. I mean, I just, I just had this sense from the Lord and I thought, that's, that's more than just last night's pizza. I believe this is God doing something here. And, and I just have this sense that, that God is at work through his word, especially as we get into this part of the book of Ephesians. So if you have your Bibles, would you turn with me to Ephesians chapter 4 this morning? Ephesians chapter 4. Uh, we were actually in Ephesians chapter 4 back this past spring. We looked at the unity of the church. We looked at the maturity of the church. Then we went back to chapter 1. We talked about the work that Jesus does in our lives, the way that he changes us. We talked about the gifts he gives to us. We talked about the difference that happens before Christ and after. If you remember, we, we looked at the before and after series. And now we're to chapter 4. And in chapter 4, Paul makes this tremendous shift. He goes from theology where he's talked for three chapters about this is what we believe. And now he changes it to practicality. And he says, as a result of this, this is how we live. From what we believe to if we believe this, this is how we're gonna live. And so that's what we're gonna see as we get into Ephesians chapter four, Ephesians chapter five over these next few weeks. And I can tell you this, this is going to be extremely practical stuff. Not just, hey, this is what we believe, but how does it affect our lives as a result? As you're, as you're maybe praying about who to invite and when to invite folks, and I know you may say, look, Gilligan, these don't sound like Christmas messages, but, but trust me, okay, work with me here. I can tell you next week we're gonna talk about the subject of anger, which for some of you is a Christmas memory. <laughs> and then the following week, week before Christmas, we'll talk about Christmas, but we're gonna talk about the idea of bitterness and forgiveness. These are really strong thoughts that are in Ephesians. And you probably know some people who um, need to hear some of those messages because we're in a series of messages that we're calling Christmas Presents. And here's, here's our hope in this series, that you consider not just your presence this Christmas, but your presence this Christmas. Not just your presence, but your presence, who you are, what you bring, who God is in you. And here's the idea, this Christmas is not about what you give, but about how you live. 
because not just the gifts that you give, but the gift of yourself, the way that Christ lives in you, will make a tremendous difference in how you celebrate and how you impact people's lives, and that God wants to do in your life this Christmas season. So that the whole, the whole idea of where we're going to go for these next few weeks kind of gets introduced in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. Look at what Paul says. And remember this. Paul is writing not just to some strangers. He's not just writing to some people he casually knew. He is writing to the church that he loved. These are his friends. We've said this over and over again, but he started this church. He spent two years in this church. He intimately knew these people. He knew their stories. He knew what they were wrestling with. And so he says to them this, and listen to the words he uses, Ephesians chapter four, verse 17. He says, so I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do, in the futility of their thinking. Look at, the, look at the beginning of that verse again. He says this thing. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord. He's not just making a suggestion here. He's not just saying, hey, this might be a good idea. He says, look, friends, I'm as, as your pastor, Paul says, I'm insisting on this. And not based on my authority. This is in the Lord. This is in who Christ is, who he is in your lives. I want to just get this out here, Paul says. I insist on this. And what does he insist on? He says this, that you no longer live as the Gentiles do. What he's asking them for here, if you dig right down, he's asking them for change. When he talks about the Gentiles, he's not necessarily talking about ethnicity. We think of that. We think of either Jew or Gentile. And the New Testament brings this up an awful lot. It says there's the Jewish people, the Gentile people. What Paul does is he throws them a curveball. He says, look, let me give you option number C. You're not just Jewish. You're not just Gentile. In Christ, we are Christian. In Christ, we are followers of Christ. So our ethnicity is no longer determined by our nationality or by our skin color. Our, our, our citizenship is in heaven. It's in what we believe. So he says when he talks about the Gentiles, he's not talking about ethnicity, he's talking about spirituality. He's saying, look, you are not what you used to be. And if you're not what you used to be, then stop living like it. He says you need to change. This, this will be the crux of everything that we talk about over the next few weeks. And you can see that Paul says this is not just some kind of little thing, it's a big deal. He says, I insist on this. Understand this, and I think this is key for us. If Jesus Christ has changed you, then your life should be changed. If Jesus Christ has changed you, then your life should be changed. I talk to people in church, and I can tell that they just don't have that joy and that peace and that hope that comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ, in part because even though they've tried to find it, they haven't allowed him to truly change their life. For some of us, we, we say, oh, yeah, Jesus has changed me. But if you look at the way that you live, you're no different than you were before him. You've just dealt with a little bit of guilt by going to church on a Sunday morning. That's all the third service people. I didn't mean to say that to you. I'm sorry. I, that's coming on a little too strong. Here's the deal. If Jesus Christ has changed you, then your life should be changed. You're not what you used to be. Paul says it's not a suggestion. I insist on it. And here's the deal. That just in and of itself is, is kind of offensive <laughs> because what it says is this. It says that if you have been changed, then you're not only different from what you used to be, but you're different from other people. It says to the whole world around you, not just by what you say, not because you walk with an air of superiority, but because you live different. It says to the world around you, I'm different than I used to be. I'm different from you. And that in its very nature, in fact, that in particular in our culture has been branded as an intolerant, insensitive, and an offensive thing. 
Paul doesn't say that's what it is. I think we miss that in the church so many times because we want to make this an idea of if Christ has changed us, then we've been changed and we're different, then we make it enmity between us and the world in a certain sense, kind of us and them. Paul doesn't make it that. He says the, the deal isn't that it's us and them. He says it's before and after. He says the hope is that everyone comes to a relationship with Christ, and when they do, then their lives will be changed as well. Does that make sense? So here's the deal. Life in this world is not a matter of us and them, but of before and after. We'll see this in just a moment. This is really important, especially if over the holiday season you interact with some friends or family members who may not have had their lives changed yet by Jesus Christ. It's not you against them. It's just a matter of realizing that after you've had an experience with Jesus Christ, your life has been changed. Do you agree with that? So thanks, both of you. So if that's the case... Where do we start? Look, we're going to hit practical stuff, anger and forgiveness. We're going to talk about telling the truth. We're going to talk about how do we use our words. We're going to talk about everything from how we interact with our time to how we interact with sexuality. We're going to hit a lot of things, not because we want to, because Paul just walks us through these things over these next few weeks. But where does it start? We'll go back to verse 17 of Ephesians chapter 4. Here's where Paul says it starts. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. You know where it starts? If your life's been changed by Christ, then it's going to start in the way that you think. You must change your thinking to change your life. That's our challenge today. That's what we're going to look at and talk about today. You must change your thinking to change your life. Why, why is your thinking so important? Well, let's start here. Because your frustration starts in your mind. Your frustration starts in your mind. Some of us live with like a real low level of frustration constantly. We just know it for whatever reason. And some of us, it's not low level. It's pretty cranked up. We live in a pretty frustrated place. Paul says, look, for the Gentiles, the, the issue is that their thinking is futile. It's frustrating. It, it's not productive. It doesn't do anything. And so when your mind is locked in and stuck in that place, you have that sense of frustration. So for a lot of us, the reason we live with that frustration is because of the way that we think. Ephesians 4, agreed? We've got a lot to cover here. I was just a little worked up. I had to tell you about the dream I had. I was excited. But so, okay, so here's the deal. Your frustration starts in your mind, but watch this. Your freedom starts in your mind as well. It's how you think. It's what you do with what's in your mind. So not just your frustration, but your freedom. John chapter eight, verse 32, these are Jesus' words. He says, then you will know the truth. Where do you know this? You know it initially in your mind, right? So when you know the truth, the truth will set you Okay, so not just your frustration, but your freedom also starts in your mind. So let's go back and talk about this because Paul unpacks this for us. And I want you to, to, to grasp this because this is, this is the key, really kind of a key for, for everything we do from here on out. How you think determines how you will act, right? So we need to talk about our thinking. So what's Paul say about our mind? Let's go back to this. Ephesians chapter 4, 17. Look at what he describes here because he's gonna talk about how you used to think. He says, so I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. Now he describes it. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. 
mean, he gives you quite a definition here of what futile thinking is like. And here's what I want you to see, that futile thinking has dangerous consequences. Futile thinking, and let's define that. That's thinking outside of God. That's keeping God out of your thoughts. If you have that futile thinking, thinking without God, it has dangerous consequences. Now, let me not take you off the hook so easy. Because some of you say, oh, man, I'm a follower of Christ. And I love Jesus. And so I don't have futile thinking. And you may not in the sense of what Paul describes here as, as the Gentiles or when he's thinking over the overall culture. But I'll give you this just, just in a snapshot. For some of you, you want to find peace in your mind, but you've only given God a piece of your mind. You haven't given him over the whole thing. And so you keep this little sliver or this part that although you let your thinking be led by God in a lot of ways, you don't overhear. Because this part over here, for whatever reason, you just keep going back to because the way that thinking, I don't know if it's an area of fear. I don't know if it's an area of a bad habit. I don't know if it's an area that's just been, been ingrained in you, whatever it is, but there's this one part of your mind, your thinking, your thoughts, your, your life, that you've not allowed the Holy Spirit to change in your life. And so that area, even just that little piece of your mind, you'll never have peace in your mind because you're futile in that place because you've not given it over to God. What does that mean? Well, let me describe it for you. Here's what he says. Three things that he tells us about this. Futile thinking has dangerous consequences, right? We've, we've seen that. What's the first one? Number one, it's darkness where you cannot see first one of these dangerous consequences is darkness because you cannot see. And what happens is when we think outside of God, we don't see things the right way. We find ourselves, Paul says, in a place of darkness. And you know this to be true, that there's those times when you take God out of your thoughts and then you can't spiritually see clearly. He talks about the word ignorance here. And how many of you know this? He's not talking about intellectual ignorance. And I think intellectual um, academics and achievement and those kind of things, those are important things. We should grow. We should want to learn. But how many of you know that just because you're smart doesn't mean you can spiritually see things, right? So if that's the case, we've got to realize there is this dynamic of seeing things in, in the sense of what God's word says. And when we try to think outside of what God sees and we try to think outside of what God thinks, we realize that it's a place where it's futile and it leads us to a place of darkness. Now, Let me throw that out in just two ways. One, if you're keeping God out of a certain area of your thoughts, how can you expect to think clearly in that way? And then two, this is really important for us when we interact with people, especially maybe over the holidays, who do not have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because chances are, if you've got family members or friends and they do not have this opportunity to experience the life change that comes from him, then they're not gonna be able to see things the same way that you see things. How many times do we get frustrated with people and we're like, well, why do they think like that? How can they think like that? How come they don't see it this way? The truth is, is because oftentimes they're in darkness so they do not spiritually see. Does that make sense? Here's the deal. We deal with family members. We deal with friends. You're gonna deal with this over the holidays because some of you, you get together. I mean, I see this often at weddings. I see it at funerals and I see it in the holidays when families get together and some of you have families that put the fun in dysfunctional, right? I mean, that's who you are. And when you get together, sometimes you just scratch your head and you say, how can they think like that? What's the deal with them? And here's the truth. We've got to remember this. We should not be surprised when lost and hurting people act like lost and hurting people. We should not be surprised when lost and hurting people act like lost and hurting people. 
That's just the reality of thinking outside of God. That sometimes we've got to be patient with those outside of the faith because they're in darkness. What else are they in? Number two, Paul says that the, what comes as a consequence of futile thinking is number two, hardness, where you cannot feel. It's hardness where you cannot feel. He uses this language. He says that, uh, um, that, that it's the hardening of their hearts. I, um, for years, ever since I was like in elementary school, I've kind of dabbled with playing the guitar, and I've never gotten really good, so I just keep dabbling. But it's, it's like kind of a therapy kind of thing, so I'll play. And, and I, I kind of do this, because what happens is when you play the guitar, if you know this, on the fingertips of your, your fingers, when you play, push it on the strings, you build up calluses. Do you know what I mean? The word that's used here for hardening is the same word for a callus. I kind of, over time, what happens is, if I haven't played for a while and I pick up my guitar, the strings hurt my fingers because the calluses aren't, aren't there. But after I've played for a while, if I, if I can consistently play, I build those calluses back up, and then as a result, I don't feel that. Now, that's great for a guitar player. It's terrible for your heart. Because if your heart gets hardened, then you can't feel. In fact, Paul talks about this. He talks about how they've lost sensitivity. And there's this hardness and it's not because you don't want to feel. No, you, you as, an, as a human, in your thinking, in your thoughts, you deeply desire to feel, but when you push God out of your thoughts, what happens is you lose that sensitivity. You get that hardness in your heart. And so then, because you desperately want to feel something, you find yourself in this third consequence that he talks about here. Number three, it's emptiness, where you cannot be satisfied. Emptiness, where you cannot be satisfied. Listen to verse 19 again of chapter four. He says, having lost all sensitivity, that's that hardness, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they are full of greed. See, here's what happened. When, when you can't feel something, you want to feel something, so you reach out to anything so that you can try to fill that void. You try to find that, and that emptiness has you chasing after things, especially when it's a spiritual emptiness. Does this make any sense? And so what happens is, not just for people who are thinking outside of God, but for you in that area of your life where you've not allowed God to reign in your thinking, you want to find some form of satisfaction. You want to find some form of, of peace that comes. But if you haven't let God come into that place, then you start reaching for it in all kinds of places, and here's the deal. It creates a spiritual vacuum in your soul, and a spiritual vacuum will attempt to be filled by cheap substitutes. A spiritual vacuum will attempt to be filled by cheap substitutes, which is why oftentimes we make bad decisions. It's why oftentimes we go after things that really don't last. It's why we choose to chase after things sometimes, because we just want to find the satisfaction instead of letting God control our thinking. So futile thinking will lead us to a point of darkness, of, of, of hardness, and also of emptiness, where we're trying to fill that thing. For some of you, that's just so real. It's true in your life. Because you've struggled in your job, or you struggle in your relationships, or you struggle in your walk with the Lord, or you struggle and you look to find some kind of substitute because of your issues with your spouse, or because of your issues with your boss, or because of whatever that is, and you're looking for that, and it just leads you to greater emptiness. So what do you do instead? Did I tell you I had a dream? I told you that, right? And in that, the hope was that this, this would help you. So let's talk about how do we change our thinking? Because that's the key, because how we think is how we're gonna live. So let's go back to what Paul says, because he takes it from the futility into some hope here. Ephesians chapter four, verse 20, look at what he says. He says, that, however, that futile thinking, 
is not the way of life that you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So what Paul does here is he helps us to see if we are going to have thinking that's been affected by Christ, how do we do that? So here's what I wanna give you. I wanna give you four steps to change your mind. Here's here's hopefully something that will help. Four steps to change your mind right from what Paul says here. Let's go back to those scriptures and see what he tells us to do. Number one, here's the first one. He says, uh, verse 20, that, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him in accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. Here's number one. You gotta start with what you know. You have to start with what you know. And this is critical because he talks here about the truth that is in Jesus. But for a lot of us, we, don't, we, we know it, but we don't let it affect our thinking. And we certainly don't let it affect our actions. For some of us, we've got to start living out the things that we know because that's then going to affect the way that we think. Let me give it to you in, in this way. If you're, if you're a parent and you've, you've watched a child process, or maybe you're a teacher, you've watched a child process, and they kind of go out of those preschool years and into those elementary years, there's this transition season that has to happen where there's behavior that was preschool behavior that's no longer appropriate. Does that make sense? I mean, I remember saying to our kids at different stages, hey, you need to use your words. Mm, does not count anymore. <laughs> Verbalize, say what you want. Rhonda still says that to me in the mornings. Use your words, right? Mm. Okay, so that's that, that's that process. Why? Because you gotta go from where you are, you gotta grow beyond that to where you're supposed to be. This is the thing we're talking about here. Paul says, look, start with what you know. Start with the truth that you heard about Jesus because the thinking that you have where you push God out of your thoughts is not right thinking. How do you think instead? Colossians chapter three, verse 10, look at this. Paul says, and have put on the new self which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. We have to go back to God. We have to go back to the truth that is in Jesus, he calls it, and and start with those things. Here's the deal. It's time to start acting on what you know is true. Not just chalk it up to a Sunday school lesson or, hey, that was a good sermon. What are you going to do with it? It's time to act on what you know is true. So he he takes them to the point where he says, look, you, you know what to do, so start there. And then he gets real practical with them. Here's the second thing he tells them to do. The, the second, uh, second kind of thing that will help us, second step to change your mind. Number two, it's Ephesians chapter four, verse 22. He says this. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. So what do you do? What's the second step? Number two, you have to put off what is old. Number two, you have to put off what is old. For, for whatever reason, it seems like this has kind of cropped up in the last few years, it's, it's kind of this trend <clears throat> that if you're going to go to a Christmas party or something like that, that's kind of cool. Sometimes they'll do the things where they have the, the ugly Christmas sweater. You know what I'm talking about? In fact, some of you, if you were here at Christmas Extravaganza last night, some of you, some of you had one. Thank you very much. And uh, some of you didn't know you had one. Thank you very much. And uh, it's a good thing. So I've got, I've got this one that's here, which is, is truthfully, I, I honestly believe it's kind of, uh, this, this sucker's kind of a masterpiece, if, if I don't say so myself. It's uh, borderline offensive if, uh, 
if we were to be honest. So let me do this for just a minute because what we're talking about here is Paul says, look, there's some things that you should never have on you like this sweater that I should never wear in public. Amen? But they're on you. He said, you know, it, I, I don't know what you're clapping for, but it does kind of make my eyes pop as I see it there on the screen. It's, it's not a bad look, Rhonda, actually. Um, okay, so, yeah. Yeah, we're getting one for all the staff, Pastor Bill. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. Okay, so I look at this thing, and here's the reality. If I wore this out in public, you'd be looking for a new pastor. I'm pretty sure. That's how it would work. So if that's the case, what do I have to think about? Paul says, look, if there's something on you, because he takes your thinking and he puts it then in the analogy of, of what you have on. In fact, Scripture does this a lot. Paul does it several times. The book of Hebrews does it. Peter says it. He says, look, there's times when you need to put off what is on you and put on something new. So we're talking about putting off the old. What is it that we need to put off? Well, he helps us with this. Three questions I'd encourage you to ask yourself, because if we're talking about our thinking, what are the habits, what are the practices, what are the things in my mind? that are not good for me. Here's three questions I'd encourage you to ask yourself. Here's the first one. What does not fit me anymore? What does not fit me anymore? Paul says, with regard to your former way of life, the way you used to live, the way you used to be, what doesn't fit me anymore? It doesn't even necessarily mean that that thing's a sin, but it's not encouraging. It's not helpful. It's not building anybody up, and it's sure not drawing you any closer to Jesus. Those, those words, those places, those actions, even more those thoughts, just doesn't fit me anymore. You know, the deal with this sweater is it's just, I, I need like another size bigger, I think. It's just not quite right, you know? And I just look at it and go, boy, I, w- I, would, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't buy it because it just, it just doesn't fit me. What are the thoughts in your life? And I don't mean this in a superiority way. I mean it just in a maturity way. You're beyond that. It's just not where you're at anymore. And maybe the Holy Spirit's speaking to you about, hey, you know what? It's time you move past that fear. It's time you move past that anxiety. It's time you move past that grudge. It just doesn't fit you anymore. Here's the second question that I would encourage you to ask. Um, Paul says this. He says, you need to put off your old self, which is being corrupted. He says, this old self is corrupting you. So here's the question for you. Number two, what is corrupting me? What is it in my life, in my thinking, let's leave it right there, that's corrupting me in some way? What's that word corrupting mean? It has this connotation of, of corrosion. You know how, how like if, if, if um, something stays wet for too long or if it gets salt, you know, all those different things that can cause metal to rust or can cause something to fade, it corrodes it. Does that make sense? That's the idea that's here. What is it that's in you or that's on you or that's in your thinking that's corroding your mind, that's wearing away at your relationship with God? What is corrupting you? And as I thought about this, I thought there's really kind of a few different ways or places that these thoughts come from. We can become corrupted by media, memories, and motivations. We can become corrupted by media, memories, and motivation. Let me break that down for you for just a minute. When I say media, I, I, I want to I say that in the large scale of the things that we put into our mind. It's the music we listen to. It's the things that we watch. It's the, it's the way that the outside world comes into our eyes and our ears and affects our mind. And if we're not careful, those things can corrupt us. Now, there's nothing wrong with watching the news. But having the news 24-7 is probably not that healthy, is it? 
Here's the truth. The music you listen to and, and the things that you watch have an effect on your mind in a way that you and I probably just don't even realize. In fact, have you ever gotten away from it for a while and then realized, wow, that really was affecting me more than I realized? It affects the way we think. It affects the way that we fear. It affects the way that we, that, we, that we interact with other people. We have to be careful about that. Now, I'm not saying like you should never listen to music and you need to um, you know, get rid of your TV and, and let's all live in a cave somewhere. I don't mean that by any means. But I think we need to be careful. Man, I like to be entertained just like anybody else. But I need to ask myself the question, how is that affecting the way that I'm thinking? It's not just the media, but it's our memories that can have a tendency to corrupt us. Because if we keep going back to certain things in our mind, certain things that are in the past, oftentimes things that Jesus already said, look, there's no condemnation there. What's Paul say, Romans 8, 1? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. There's things that have been forgiven, but we keep going back to those things, and whether it's out of a sense of pleasure that we like to think about them, or out of a sense of guilt that we like to be burdened by them, those things begin to weigh down on us and they corrupt us. Not just the media, not just our memories, but it also really affects us with the idea of our motivations when we think about why do I do something? Do I do it just because of what people will think about me? Do I do it just because of what I can get? Is it about the money? Is it about the pleasure? What is the motivation that's there? Because if my mind is consumed with motivations that are not from God, it truly begins to affect me. Is that, is that just me or is that you too? Okay, thanks, both of us. That's awesome. You know what I'm saying. So we have to be careful with the media, with their memories, with motivations, because they can corrupt us. And here's the third thing that Paul says to us. He says, you need to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires. Ask yourself this question, what is deceiving me? What is deceiving me? What am I believing that's just not true? I made some comments, and I have to speak in code here. I made some comments in the first service about a certain individual who may or may not be on my sweater. And I said that that individual may or may not exist. And this mom threatened me. So I have to be careful with what I say. But here's the deal. If I believe that everything on my sweater is true, I will be disappointed on Christmas Day. Do you get what I'm saying? What are you believing that's just not true? Because some of you are chasing after things and expecting they're just gonna show up under your tree. And if you don't really buy into the truth about the whole thing, you're just gonna be disappointed because what you're believing is not truth but lies. You're being deceived by the way that you're thinking. Sometimes there's lies about my past and I buy into these things, these lies about my past, and I judge my self-worth not based on what Jesus says about me, but what others say about me, or what time has said about me, or what the future, or about what, what the past has said about me. And I've gotta realize that I've gotta put that off. I can't think about those things, because they're just not true. I need to think about who I am in Christ, not what others would say about me. And then there's also lies about my future. And I think that's really key for us to talk about. What, what is it that you spend time thinking about that's just deception, because it's just not true. Man, that's where things like envy and jealousy and greed and lust come in. And they're so dangerous, because what happens is we begin to put our focus and attention on things that aren't real, 
They're things that we hope will happen. There's things that we would like to see happen, but they're not from God, and they're not right things. And so when we build our lives on things that we wish we could have, but it's not right for us to have and that we could never have, we end up chasing things that just lead us to frustration because they're just lies. So at some point, you have to ask yourself the questions, what doesn't fit me anymore? What is corrupting me? What is deceiving me? And Paul says, you need to get rid of those things. You need to put them off. You need to get them out of your mind. You need to remove those things from the way that you think. And some of you say, I don't disagree with that. I just don't want to. Some of those things I like to think about. Some of those things I just keep coming back to thinking about them. And this is what it comes down to. You must choose to give up what will not last to gain what will last forever. Even in your thinking, you must choose to give up what will not last to gain what will last forever. So with your permission, can I take this gaudy sweater off? No, I'm not keeping it on. Here's the deal. At some point, Paul says, here's key, you have to take that old way of thinking and you need to put it off. You need to get rid of it. You can't let that be how you think anymore. And then he says the third thing that we need to consider. Ephesians chapter four, verse 23. Look at what he says here. Ephesians chapter four, verse 23. He says this to us, that we need to be made new in the attitude of our minds. That we need to be made new in the attitude of our minds. Now here's what I love about this. Here's what's interesting about this. Paul says the first part is on you. You need to put off those things. Whatever it is that you need to kind of change your thinking about, you need to put that off. Then he says once you do that, then you can be made new. You're not the one doing the making new. That's the Holy Spirit's work in your life. If any man's in Christ, then he is a new creation. But he says that it can't happen until you first, you put off that old way of thinking. So here's the third thing you need to do. Number three, you need to receive an attitude adjustment. Paul says that we need to be made new in the attitude of our minds. And number three, you may need an attitude adjustment. I remember my mom used to say that to me from time to time. She'd say, Chad, kind of like that. Whoa, did you hear that? Chad, Chad, you need an attitude adjustment. Did your mom ever say that to you? Okay, mine did, mine said it. (laughs) And here's the deal, sometimes you just need that. Here's why, first you have to put off the old because you cannot be made new if the old is in the way. So you have to put off the old, you cannot be made new if the old is in the way, and then at some point you just need to say, I need Holy Spirit, you to help my attitude. If you've got a smartphone, if you've got a tablet, if you've got a computer, you know that from time to time what'll come up is they say that your, your app or your software needs an update. It's not that anything's bad. It's not that anything's wrong. It's just it could run better. There's bugs that they found, and they want to fix it. They're adding features that are going to help you more. So when I open my iPad, oftentimes I look, and I get a little thing that says, hey, you've got this many apps that need an update. You know what I do? I do them. You know why? Because I know it will help it to work better. Oftentimes, the Spirit of God will speak to you and say, hey, buddy, you need an update. Your attitude needs an adjustment. And that's where the Holy Spirit can come in. And when we will open ourselves up to that, the Holy Spirit can help us in a way that we could not on our own. The best prayer some of you can pray is this, Holy Spirit, help my attitude. Holy Spirit, help my attitude. Some of you are going to be walking into your family member's house on Christmas morning and you need to pray this prayer, Holy Spirit, help my attitude. Why? Because sometimes that's just what we need. We need the Spirit of God to come alongside and help us in a way that we cannot help on our own. So here's my question. You need to ask yourself, in what ways does my attitude need an update? In what ways does my attitude need an update? 
Which leaves us uh, with the last thing that Paul says to us, Ephesians chapter four, verse 24. He says that we start with what we know, that we put off the old, that we get an attitude adjustment, and then number four, Ephesians chapter four, 24, that we put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Number four, we need to put on the new. We not only need to take off the old, but we need to put on the new. He, he helps us here with this imagery of, of clothing, of what we wear. And he says, look, you need to get rid of what you used to have in your thinking, and you need to put in new thinking. You need to change up your thinking and how you do that. How do you do that? Well, he says to us there that we need to think about it in a way where we're created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness, that we're created to be like God. So who's our, if we're talking from a fashion analogy, who's our fashion role model? Well, it's God. We're created to be like him. So here's what I would challenge you to do. Several years ago, I, I can't remember how it all happened. We were kind of in a store or something. We saw this poster with somebody that had this really kind of outrageous outfit on that they thought was cool. And it said on there, own your look. And I decided that I would own that phrase. That I would say to my family or I would say to other people, I'm just gonna own my look. And uh, it's kind of ridiculous to say, but I would challenge you with this. In your thinking, who are you supposed to look like? Are you supposed to look like God? So own your look. Look like him, be like him, consider what does that look like? How do I think like God? And Paul says we're supposed to do that in righteousness and in holiness. In righteousness and in holiness, what does that mean? Well, righteousness means that I think about what is right, and holiness means that I don't think about what is wrong. So this is really important, and for some of us, this is critical to grasp. It's important for you to say yes to the right and no to the wrong. It's important for you to say yes to the right and no to the wrong. And why I know this is important is because sometimes people will say to me, you know, I, I have these thoughts and they're consuming me. And I try not to think about it, but it keeps coming back. And so I know I don't want to think about it, so I say to myself, no, I don't want to think about that, which means I think about it all the more, so I don't want to think about it, so I say I don't want to think about it, but then I find myself thinking about it all the more. Do you know what I mean? And you're stuck in that place. And that thought begins to consume you. And here's what Paul says. If you're going to be like God, if you're going to think in that way, then what you need to do is say not just no to the wrong, but you have to say yes to the right. You have to take that thought that's consuming you and not just say no to it, but replace it with a good thought. How do you do that? You do that by prayer. You do that. A friend walked up to me after the first service, and he showed me a scripture that he had written out. He said, look, this is the scripture that God has given to me that when I'm in a place where I struggle with some different thoughts, then I go to this scripture and I replace those thoughts that are wrong with this scripture that is right. Does that make sense? You find a way to take God's word. You find a way to take pure thoughts. You find a way to shift that worry into prayer. You find a way to shift that, that desire that's not from God into the ones that are from him. You find a way, and I know this is easier said than done. I'm not inside your head. But here's the reality of it. Whatever is consuming your mind is also consuming your strength in your soul. So at some point, you have to realistically look at that thing and say to yourself, I need to own my look. I need to think like God. And it's important for me to say yes to what is right and say no to what is wrong. I need to replace the thoughts that are not right with ones that are from him because I'm created to be like him. So what that means is that I am going to put on the new. So this applies to how you live in your home. This applies to how you live at work. This applies in particular to how we live in this Christmas season. That I'm willing to say, God, would you help me to take these four steps so that I can be more like you and change my mind? So Monday night I had this dream. 
And my dream was that somehow what we would talk about today would help you. What I really hoped for is that somewhere in this, some of you would just have this moment where you go, what am I thinking? (laughs) I'm letting my thoughts go and be in places where they just should not be. Something needs to change. That you have one of these, what am I thinking moments. Have you ever had one of those? I mean, I can clearly remember kind of, kind of in a sense of maturity, kind of the first time that I ever had one of those. I was in junior high, and there was this girl that I had a, kind of, a, kind of a, a crush on, and, uh, um, you know, you're, you're in junior high, and it's just puppy love, but to the puppy, it feels like love, right? And so there was this girl, and we were going together. Do you know what that means? Doesn't mean anything, actually. It doesn't mean a thing, but we were going together. And she, we went to the same church, we went to different schools, and, and I didn't see her, you know, but Sundays, but that was kind of, you know, oh, we're going together, and I just, I thought she was awesome, I thought she's great, she showed me some attention and stuff. And then one day I found out that I was her church boyfriend, but she also had a school boyfriend. <laughs> and I was like, well, that, I don't play by those rules, I'm not doing that. And all of a sudden I had this moment, this wake-up call, where I went, what am I thinking? For one thing, she lied to me. For another thing, now that I think about it, I don't, I don't think she's all that pretty. <laughs> no joke. I remember thinking to myself, the next time I saw her, I thought, she's got a haircut like a boy. I remember thinking that, because this is back in the 80s, and she was rocking this mullet, and if you have a mullet, it's working for you, but I don't think anybody else should have one. I mean, it's just that she had this thing going, and I just remember having this wake, Rhonda, you've never heard that story, and I'm sorry you had to hear it here, but that's... <laughs> I didn't even know Rhonda then, okay? It's under the blood and all that. But here's the deal. I had this moment where I just went, what am I thinking? That's not what I want. That's not who I want to be. That's certainly not who I want to be with. And it was this wake-up call for me to go, I need to change my expectations. I need to change my practices. I need to change my thinking. And my hope is that what God's word has said to us today will somehow help you. So what do we do? What's the best thing for us to do? Well, that's the beauty of prayer. Because when we have those moments, we can come to God, and when we come to him in prayer, it helps us to align our thoughts with his word, with his thoughts, so he can help us to think the way that he would have for us to think. So here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. I'm gonna ask you just to bow your heads and close your eyes for just these next couple of moments. Here's why. Um, because we're gonna pray But I want you to let the Holy Spirit speak to you about the things that we've talked about here today. Because for some of you, there's a reality that in this moment, you just just know that your thinking has not been in line with what Jesus would have for it to be. Maybe it's your mind in wholesale, or maybe there's this little piece of your mind that you've held out on. And as a result, you found yourself in a place of darkness, because you know you're not thinking right. And there's a hardness that comes to your heart. And right now, it's actually got you a little concerned. Because like Paul said, you've lost some sensitivity. And the Spirit's been speaking to you about the fact that you've been trying to to fill this vacuum that's God-shaped with these cheap substitutes that are just not gonna satisfy. They're just leaving you with some emptiness. And so Jesus, in this moment, we come to you and we ask you that you would help us to change our thinking. Holy Spirit, that you would come and that you would, that you'd remove the darkness 
that you would soften our hearts and that you would help us to see that the only way we'll ever truly be satisfied is when our focus is truly on you. In Calvary, we've taken a couple of minutes and we've walked through some some different steps so that we could change our minds. And for some of you, it's got to start with what you know. It's time to start acting like what God's word says is true. To leave behind the childish things and to change the way that you think. So when we use that analogy of an ugly Christmas sweater, it caused you to consider some things in your life that you need to put off. Some things that just don't fit anymore. And the Holy Spirit's speaking right now to your heart about changing some of those things. For some of you, when we talked about what's corrupting you, you know that how you think, the media, the memories, the motivations that are in your heart, God's Spirit's challenging you to reconsider those things and to put those things off. And then for some of you, it's this big question of what's deceiving me? What lies have I bought into that have affected my thinking in such a way that they have pulled me away from God? I'll just, I'll just be real honest. When I was preparing for this, I, just, I had this very real sense that some of you that are hearing this message are way too close to doing something that you're gonna regret. And it's because of the way that you've been thinking. And you're contemplating making some kind of decision or maybe you've already taken steps of action and it's put you in a place that because of how you've been thinking, you're gonna find yourself in a place that you regret. Maybe it's with your finances. God's spirit speaking to your heart. I just felt clearly there's somebody who has been, been flirting with the idea of being unfaithful to your spouse. And there's this adulterous relationship that, that uh, has been consuming your mind. And God says, you need to change your mind before you find yourself in a place that you're going to truly regret. Somebody may even be questioning their worth and their value. And you've let your thinking go to taking your own life. And that's a decision that you could regret for eternity. And God's spirit speaking to you and saying, your thinking needs to focus on hope and on who he is. And allow him to bring that, that life, that satisfaction, that peace that you're looking for. For some of us, it's time to take that old and put it off. And I want to pray for those of us that say, what I, what I need is an attitude adjustment. If your prayer here today is, Holy Spirit, help my attitude, would you raise your hand with me? <laughs> if you'd say, God, that's what I need today. I need you to help me. Father, we look to you. And as we put off the old and as we put on the new, would you help the attitude of our minds to be made new? Would you give to us in a way that only you can an attitude adjustment by the work of your Holy Spirit? Lord, as we interact in situations that may be uncomfortable or as we, we move forward with thoughts that we need to replace, God, would you give to us an adjustment of our attitude, would you change it, Lord, so that we could be made new in our minds, so that we could be like, think like, be more like you in how we live.
And God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the way it speaks to us. We thank you for the way that it helps us. And we ask that you would take these truths and that you'd make them alive in this season so that we could see change in our lives because of Jesus, beginning with the way that we think. Now, Lord, as we go from here, we ask that you'd go with us, and that you'd send us out with your special favor and with your wonderful peace. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.